You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 383, football, fat cats and brass necks. The best albums of all time, don't argue. And Courtney Barnett at the Brighton Dome. It's all coming up after the go-betweens and streets of your town. Twins are one of those soul, they're one of those bands that I'm always aware I've always been very pro them and I've always liked them very much without necessarily knowing much of their music. But what I've heard, 
I know that I like if you see what I mean. I know that they're mm. a good thing and that I like them because they are jingly jangly indie pop. And when I, I went to see Courtney Barnett in Brighton a couple of weeks ago, which we will we will hear mm. more about later, but um they had a support act called Laura Jean, who's also from Australia, like Courtney Barnett is Laura's from Melbourne. And uh, they brought Laura on halfway through Courtney's set and they then covered this together, um, all of them. And I I thought it was so nice that they all did a cover together and I, the the version that they did of this song was really, really lovely. And so this I can't also believe this is one of those records I cannot believe how old this is mm. came out on their 1988 album 16 Lovers Lane so always it startles me when records that I think are really current and cool <laughs> are only four years younger than I am myself which is a bit depressing but never mind um, it's it's the backing vocal is, uh, is um, Amanda Brown and the guitar solo which was by the bassist weirdly uh, John Willsteed was done on the saxophone when I saw them live by Laura Jean which was mm. great so that is the go-betweens and streets of your town i don't think i've heard it since it was uh, nearly a hit in the uk back in yeah. uh, the summer of 88 yeah it got to number 80 apparently oh right okay up uh, it's yeah it's sort of upbeat chirpy summery sound and yet it's married to rather deep dark lyrics i love it uh, it's uh, gorgeous yeah. isn't it yeah welcome to the podcast from the parish council it's episode 383 i'm terence stackham and she's not from the streets of your town She's from Hastings. She's right. Juliet Harris. Straight, straight out of Hastings, as the, <laughs> as the rap people would not have sung. Hello, everyone. Now, if you're not interested in football or sport in general, please don't feel you have to fast forward over this bit, as it's less a tale about football, more about greed, uh, the attainment <laughs> and fixation with power. More about the worst of humanity, really. It is really how those, yeah, how those at the top of organisations, how they cling to that power, uh, aided by others in the same network. Only four clubs in the Premier League pay the living wage to the lowest paid workers at those clubs, which is a complete disgrace. It is absolutely extraordinary in that when you think of the money swilling around, only Chelsea, Everton, Liverpool and West Ham, they're the only clubs or businesses, I suppose we should say, uh, to pay the living wage. Yet this month, the uh, 20 clubs in the Premier League each bunged in a quarter of a million pounds to enable a five million pound bonus payment to the outgoing executive chairman at the Premier League, Richard Scudamore, who, despite various controversies, has remained in post for nearly 20 years at a salary of around a million quid a year. <sighs> Not yeah. a man living in poverty, yet they give him a five million pound golden goodbye, but can't pay their own staff a living wage. Now, Scudamore is head of the league, but on the other side of the trough, uh, Jules, you've been looking mm. into the career of the man who is supposed to represent the best interest of football players, the chief executive of the Professional Footballers Association. Yes, it's a pretty depressing kind mm. of thing, really, isn't it? It's it's one of those one of those things where where you just you, you get that there are people at the top of organisations that that obviously being at the top of the organisation means that you're exposed to things that perhaps people with less high profile jobs don't have to deal with the result of which you know I can understand why you know I'm not one of these people that says oh everyone in the firm should get the same salary no if your job is more responsible I think I think that you should you know you should obviously end up doing more but being paid more for, for the fact that you do more but I you know so so the other side is Gordon Taylor is the is the chairman of the um, of the PFA the the the, the uh, sort of players union as it were um 
he has been in this job. Speaking of this, uh, people being in, in jobs for a long time, mm. he has been in jobs this job for forty years. Um, I love this bit from the Guardian when he replaced Derek Duggan as uh, chairman of the PFA, the Professional Footballers Association, on the thirteenth of November, nineteen seventy-eight. This is how long he's been in this job. Um, there was a bakery strike that led to bread rationing. Watership Down was at the cinema. A pint of milk cost 11p, and the average annual uh, summary, uh, salary was of uh, £5,440. Um, he got an OBE in, um, in 2008. Um, his first interview as chairman, so he so he took the chief executive role. So he was chairman, and, and now he's sort of moved upstairs. Um and he had a reputation as being a very good administrator um, with the times in 1985 and again we're going back some, some time I was one so described him the undoubtedly the most impressive administrator and negotiator in football um, most heroically you might recall when the big telly money arrived he threatened a players strike unless his union clawed its way to a decent wage so you could argue that as a union man mm. he is very effective because that's who he's fighting for the players but having said that um, his salary makes Scooty Moore's looks modest. Mm. Uh, the PFI, uh, sorry, PFI, PFA accounts, too many inaccurate revealed that it was mm. 2.29 million. Previously, his uh, earnings have multiplied almost threefold from 1.13 million to 3.37 million um, uh, after bonuses. Um, he was also, I mean, it, it, to put it into perspective, he was earning more than Didier Deschamps and um, Joachim Lowe, both of whom have won the World Cup as managers. Yeah, we, we've we've seen at least the beginning of change in other industries, particularly the movie and theatre business over the right. last year yeah. or so. Although. Even there, I, I've got concerns that it could all turn out to be meet the new boss, same as the old boss. However, yeah. in sport, the reluctance for change and the clinging on at the top seems to be screwed on more tightly than uh, most businesses. There's, mm. there's been some ludicrous attempts at defence for Taylor in the media. I heard a I heard a friendly towards Gordon Taylor radio host interviewing a player who outlined how he'd been helped by the Professional Footballers Association when he was down on his luck, as if this somehow vindicated the mm. huge salary and status of the chief executive. The PFA is there to support players. That, That's what that, it should do. Exactly. That's, that, that, you know, that it, yeah, that it did so. You know, he's got nothing whatsoever to do with Gordon Taylor. And so much of sport and extending it, so much of life and business in terms of major companies, public bodies, um, entertainment industry, including broadcasting. It's all run by a sort of club of old grey people, mostly men, who see yeah, them... It's, it's a cabal, isn't it? It's, it's a cabal, say. because they see themselves and the maintenance of their status and income as the overriding priority, not the people they pretend to serve. It's... it's it, it, and that's not a conspiracy conspiracy theory. I think it's a fact. The people, what it is, I think. Yeah, the people we hope to question, these so-called leaders, are all part of the game. And I was thinking, you know, to stretch it a little, just a little bit wider. David Dimbleby, he went to Oxford and was a member of the Bullingdon Club. Mm. Um, if you go to the Spectator summer party, you'll see. Andrew Marr sharing a joke with David Cameron, Nick Robinson enjoying a glass of wine with Boris Johnson. At best, it's cronyism, and it's endemic in British society, including oh, yes. including football. And it, it feels like we're a long way from change. Um, the, the, <laughs> the independent newspaper this week has published a list of the best 40 albums of all time. We'll be mm. telling you our top fives. First, though, um, after hearing this next track, you'll probably be going... 
for the rest of the day. Don't blame me, blame the dead south.
brain intruding catchiness from a sort of bluegrass folky mm. fusion not from the Appalachian Mountains of Tennessee or West Virginia but from Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada from the 2014 album Good Company that's the Dead South and in hell I'll be in good company don't we all feel that way <laughs> <laughs> there's our future mapped out for us absolutely um, this week, the British daily newspaper, The Independent, selected the 40 best albums of all time. Uh, so good they can change your life, they claim. Um, as we discovered last week when we discussed songs that are fabulously successful but we just don't get, any mm. opinions on music are totally subjective and down absolutely. to personal yes, feelings. Yes, people pointed this out mm. on Twitter afterwards, and I understand that. Yeah, absolutely, me too. From The Independent's top 40, there were many of us who wouldn't include Dizzy Rascal's Boy in the Corner, or nor Joanna Newsom or Metallica in the 40 best albums of all time. But they, they do include Led Zet 4 and Ziggy Stardust. Um, let's redress the balance from last week and get in on this game by naming some of our favourite albums. Yeah, stuff, stuff we do we really get. like. Mm. Yes, let's, let's go back to our positive sunny <laughs> We don't have time to nominate uh, 40, so we're each picking five. And uh, what are your first three uh, albums uh, of all time? Greatest albums of all time, Jules? So, so shall I go from five to three? Five to three. Yeah. Number <laughs> five. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I you know this is a task that I found it almost impossible to do because I listened to so much music mm. that it was almost impossible to, to, to narrow it down. But my fifth choice, um, I, I love jazz. I, uh, listening to jazz has brought so much to my life. Mm. And when I was um, younger... I, I I did listen to a lot of jazz on the radio, and then I kind of sort of got out of it for a while. And then I I went up to, to Suffolk with my family on holiday, as I often do, and we were in a lovely shop in Southwell called Wells, which used to ostensibly been a, a camera shop. And then as time has sort of moved on, they've now diversified into other things. It's a gorgeous place. And that as well as selling cameras, they sell sort of ye olde gifts. But they, they have a, a stunning music department and they they've now branched out into vinyl as well but they sell really good books and they sell not tons and tons of cds but they've got a really big classical department and quite a big jazz department and then the other stuff they don't stock very much or what they stock is always impeccable and we were in there once and they were playing the cd and my my mum said do you like this and i said i i love this what is this i need to know what this is mm. and we went up to the counter and it was it was this album which was ben webster meets oscar peterson and years ago one of my old jazz tapes years before this mm. i've been very keen on the piano playing of oscar peterson i had a version of him doing topsy uh, with buddy rich on drums and ray brown on bass and i'd worn the tape out that i'd listened to it so much so i knew that i liked oscar peterson and I loved the kind of, not lazy, but the languid sax playing of, of Ben Webster. It's so breathy. I still haven't heard anyone play the sax quite like he does, and I, I just love this. I think it's it's such a, it's got some lovely standards on it. It doesn't outstay its welcome. Verve did a lovely reissue of it, and for me, it's, it, it's very special to me because there, perhaps there are even other jazz albums that I listen to more often. But that was that was the album that really opened up jazz and really reminded me and then got me into my love of Oscar Peterson. So, so Ben Webster meets Oscar Peterson by the two of them is um, no, no surprises there as to who it's by is, is my fifth favourite album. Um, album number four, um, again, 
when I another sort of formative album for my teenage years, a bit of a theme here. When I was about fifteen or sixteen, I heard "One Way or Another" by Blondie on a mm. Bailey's advert, and went, "Oh, I really like this." And in those days, we didn't have Spotify or looking things up. And I think eventually, I read in a magazine that it was that it was by Blondie, and so. I got the bus into town as a 15, 16-year-old, um, and I, I made a special journey. So I got the bus in. I went to Music and Video Club, remember that? Oh, and gosh, bought, yes, I yeah. know. I had the plastic credit card that you were given. Yes. I love the fact that it was it was the ultimate egalitarian club and that it was a club. <laughs> but all you had to do to join the Music and Video Club was to fill a form out. I don't think you had to pay any money. And they gave you a, a sort of grey plastic credit card with a number stamped. It felt like a credit card. It's the nearest thing I had to a credit card for years. And um, and I walked in and I bought Parallel Lines by Blondie on CD and then I caught the next bus. Such was the, the small amount of time I sent it. I spent it down. I spent the next bus and got home and my parents hadn't even noticed that I'd gone out because I'd been <laughs> I'd been away for for so little time. And again, it is flawless. This album is just the pop. It's just the, the sort of post-punk pop masterpiece. Every song is a winner. They did seven singles from it or something crazy like that because it is just so... And there's only... You know, there, isn't, there aren't that many more songs on the album. And and also, when I was younger, having, you know, female-fronted bands was really important to me. I, I loved Elastica at that time as well and still do. And so, so Blondie Parallel Lines was, was just, you know, an album that I never tire of. I don't think mm. I've ever put it on and had to turn it off halfway through. It is just... It's just the perfect album, I think, in my view. And at number three, um, my Radiohead, <laughs> which you've done very well in your kind of moving mm. around to life. But this mm. was one of their sort of, you know, not one of their later period scronky albums. This is OK Computer. Um, again, an album that I, you know, I, I, I owned on about four different formats at one point. I think someone swiped my tape, unfortunately. <laughs> but I had this on so many. There's always a sign if I like an album. If I have to think, oh, I'd like the CD, or I'd like the vinyl, or I'd like the tape, or I'd like the, I'd like the eight-track version, please. I, I was I I just I almost can't say how much I love this album because I love it so much that it's it's become such a part of my DNA that I find it difficult to pick out things about it that I like again and and this is such a theme that my favourite albums maybe we can talk about this it's just the mm-hmm. idea that what grabs you when you're in your formative years mm. never quite leaves you and you know I've heard thousands of albums since that I really love but most of this top five are albums that I got into as a teenager to do sixth form college or or late sort of school and and you know that they're just there they're there forever for me and and mm. i got the guitar tab book for my 17th birthday I taught myself how to play our paranoid android i just i, I just think it's them I, I love all the radiohead records even the ones that no one really likes very much but that is their masterpiece i think I, I've done pretty much the same thing in the sense that there's nothing contemporary in my top five. Mm. I, I, I only gave um, 30 seconds thought because I could, oh, eas- okay. I could easily spend 30 days chopping and changing yes. Yes, and true. that my list tomorrow could very well be, be different. Yeah, it's different just a, a kind yeah. of moment in time, isn't it? So um, I went with the five that hopped out of my, um, <laughs> my troubled brain. Nice. Um, <laughs> sadly, no room for David Bowie and Hunky Dory or America's Homecoming. Oh. So at number five... Lewis Taylor, and from 2004, the aptly named The Lost Album. Um, reviewers found it very hard to describe at the time. Uh, the British neo-soul, I've seen, but that's not quite it. Um, it's, a, it's a lush, uh, melodic, sing-along-y, uplifting set of songs, any of which um, Fleetwood Mac, Hall & Oates, or The Beach Boys would be oh, proud absolutely. of. Yeah. And, and it hardly sold a, a, a copy. Um, 
But it's now a cult classic. A cult classic, it's, it's yeah. It's one of those albums where if you know about it, you really, really like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, at number four, an album sold to me in 1973 or 1974 by Danny Baker in One Stop Records, <laughs> South Moulton Street. Clang, there's a name. <laughs> First time I met him, where you could buy it as an import. You, 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 you had to go to import shops mm. in the early 70s to get American uh, albums. Uh, the debut album from... Steely Dan can't buy a thrill. Ah, oh, brilliant! Yeah, this sort of music. He didn't get much airtime on UK radio in the early seventies, and I think it was possibly uh, Nicky Horn on Capital Radio who was playing it, um, and that's where I heard it. Ten tracks, no duds at all. Forty minutes in total. Absolute belter. Steely Dan mm. can't buy a thrill. Number three, a bit more mainstream. Uh, in 1985, you bought Kate Bush's album Hounds of Love, and the singles were familiar, uh, Running Up That Hill, Cloud Busting, yep. uh, the track Hounds of Love and The Big Sky. So side, side one, a series of hit singles, essentially. But mm. on the second side, this gorgeous 26-minute suite, I suppose one would call it, at the time, a very unfashionable concept piece the ninth wave mm. and it somehow was very kate and yet like nothing that had been heard or, or attempted before it's moving and intense and unforgettable kate bush <laughs> excuse me kate bush and the album the hounds of love um and That's a, the ninth wave is a, is a oh. gorgeous choice but i just but i just want to say it mm. is a gorgeous choice but mm. i was talking about this and being told off about this only Ooh. yesterday so you can join in the, mm. the telling off of me if you wish terence yeah. i know that occasionally you like this as a hobby so and yes, it's, it's always it's, justified it. that's the thing so <laughs> i was talking about uh, a chat came into the the record shop where I, I often sit on saturdays yesterday and we were talking to him about kate bush and he's a big mm. kate bush fan and we we're talking about reissues you said aerials about reissued and i said i think that's my favorite kate bush album mm. i think we talked previously how to be invisible is my favorite kate bush mm. song and thanks again to my friend adrian for introducing me to that but they were talking about hounds of love and they said what do you think of hounds of love june i said all well, singles are great and i said i've sometimes struggled a bit really getting into and connecting with the ninth wave and of course Ooh. tim had this you know huge kind of not rant but you know this huge go mm. at me and i said you know i just i said i know it's good I know it's really good, but mm. emotionally I'm struggling to connect with it. And so I've been tasked to put it on my headphones and walk around. I've been told mm. that it, it works. Tim thinks it would work well for me if I was out in the world listening to yeah, it. So I, I don't know. That. I'm going to yeah. try it and see see if I... And it's not that I don't like it at all, because I do, but I, I, I'm struggling mm. to unlock it as a work. And as you live on the coast, perhaps moment. looking out... To the to waves see. beyond, yeah, yes. Maybe yeah. that will work. No, mm. I will try that anyway. So that's my comment on on your album. It's brilliant, <laughs> but I need to connect with the ninth wave. And of course, um, it featured heavily in Kate's uh, Before the Dawn concerts at Hammersmith. Yes. And so again, yes. you know, and, and very I have much got embedded. my my little piece of confetti with with mm. with it referenced on on the on the wall, wave after wave. Yes, that I'm looking at now. Your remaining two tracks, Jules. Um, uh, two, two, two tracks, albums. two albums, sorry. Yeah. Well, yes, two albums of tracks. It's fine, we can mm. rescue this. So, um, <laughs> so, interestingly, you were talking about lengths. I'm looking at the, the... I've just quickly looked up, whilst I was, of course, listening attentively, I also looked up how long my five albums are. Mm. And 
the longest and given that cds can be up to 80 minutes long now so the modern era you know that you can have albums be as long as you like mm. um and the longest of my five albums is okay computer which which i say only that might be quite long by old-fashioned standards but it's 53 minutes long the other mm. the parallel lines is 39 minutes and six seconds and ben webster and oscar is in a 36 minutes and 25 seconds maybe there's something to be said for mm. brevity mm. i i also nearly included the strokes is this it because that was again a huge record for my teenagers that's also a very brief record so so this record that i'm picking now is 47 minutes and 25 seconds so a little bit longer but again she's this artist is so important to me she's done so many albums that i love intently but this was the first one that i really got into because i'd heard one of the singles on the radio and thought oh i really like this and so i was uh, my friend that i thought was really cool that was a guitarist in a band that was a couple of years older than me that got my my college bus said to me oh this is brilliant you should go and buy that album you'll really like it and there's some brilliant songs on it i've heard it it's great go and buy it and because i my cool friend told me that i would i should go and buy it i, I went over to brighton with shopping with another friend of mine and i decided i would i would get this album i got two albums one which nearly got into this top five and didn't which is the great eastern by the delgados which I, i'm sorry that they missed out really because that's a wonderful record also sorry that the queen is dead by the smiths missed out as well but um but uh, i bought stories from the city stories from the sea by pj harvey and although it's her kind of quote-unquote pop album that she tried and it's mm. not necessarily indicative of her sound so it was quite an interesting one to work backwards from it's just it, it's one of those records where I had to stop listening to it because I listened to it every day for a year when I went away to university Gosh, and then decided that I wasn't really hearing it anymore. Now when I put it on, I just think oh, it's just a sparkling record and and it introduced me to an artist which is the probably emotionally the most meaningful artist to me. I think so. So uh, apart from the the my winning album mm. artist, which I will explain in a minute. But yeah, I I just think. If no one's listened to P- if you've some that you've listened to know PJ Harvey and you think where should I start? I think that this is not a bad place to start because it's a it's a high quality rock album. It's a high you know, it's a high quality melodic rock album. I think it's I think it's terrific. And I love the fact that she just decided, right, I'm gonna write a I'm gonna write a poppy album now and then did and it is it is wonderful. So Stories in the City, Stories in the Sea by PJ Harvey. It's my second favourite album of all time. because she's been so successful for so long, it's worth remembering that she's um, still only in her forties. Um, as I've said before, yeah. I'm sure she will end up as Dame PJ Harvey. Well, it, it seems she's already PJ Harvey MBE. Uh, she is, yeah. yeah. It's my favourite. I'm not as much, um, you know, I don't know her work as well as you do, but it's my favourite. Although you've heard much of it, thanks to me. Indeed. It's on my radio program, on Indeed. this podcast. It's my favourite PJ Harvey period or album because of its influence mm. by New York City. And it has a definite American feel to it, despite being recorded in Milton Keynes, of all it's places. True. <laughs> it's true, in that big, in that big abbey, yeah. Mm. And there's some lovely shots of them all in this abbey with all this kind of wood panelling inside the inside the control room and the mixing rooms so in, in the album, Steve. But yeah, like you say, it's got a real... Well, she was living in New York for part of that mm. time. So hence why there is mm. that kind of big city feel to it, I think. Number one. Oh, right. OK, so, yeah, indeed. This is your super sore away, number one, <laughs> listeners. Um, so, yeah, I say that the only... When I say... When people say, who is your favourite artist of all time? And I say, oh, it's PJ Harvey. And I say, mind you, it is PJ Harvey... 
taking away the Beatles because they are so far my favourite artist and in my DNA that I almost don't count them really. It's it, they're almost like clothes. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I, I they're sort of they're just there, aren't they? They're they're clothes. It's almost like you know you eat fruit and you wear clothes, and they're just a basic of life for me. And and you know since I was very small, the first tape that I really had that I listened to regularly was the Beatles' greatest hit, sixty-seven to seventy. So the Blue album, mm. except ours wasn't blue because as I've spoken about previously on this podcast, we were, my family were very keen on bootleg tapes so it was uh, it was it was actually the sort of orange and white album because it was on one of those tdk tapes um but um, the orange white and black album uh, but, um, <laughs> i just uh, i just i i i listened to it constantly as a kid like constantly and 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 you know as i got older i just i discovered most of the beatles albums Weirdly, I did this kind of backwards thing where I had a cousin that hadn't, I think it might have been, she had the Reader's Digest. They did this box set of Beatles stuff where they weren't on the proper albums. They were on eight kind of divided up albums. And she put them all on, they put them all on tape for me. So I knew all these Beatles songs, but I didn't know what albums they were on. So I then had to go backwards and look up again the internet was going it was a going concern by this point so i had to look up what was on each of the albums so i would find the albums that i thought had the most ones on that i liked so so i there were two i i remember going over a dartford bridge with my headphones on and Taxman by the beatles were on one of these tapes and i remember thinking god this is really good it's got a real punch to it it didn't sound like the later period psychedelic Beatles that I was used to. And it didn't sound like the twist and shout type stuff that I knew as well. It was really, it was really garagey and I really liked how raw it was. And then halfway through, that guitar solo kind of crash lands in through one ear because they've mixed it in that way. And I always joke that it kind of slightly jumbled my brain a bit. And I'm not sure my brain's ever been unjumbled ever since. It completely changed how I heard them and how I heard music. So of course I went again as a teenager, I went out bought revolver probably from mvc again i should think <laughs> i'd needed to get as many points as possible for my card so i probably bought it from there and again it's it's as, as short as you like it's it's uh, it's another i think it's the shortest album on the list at 35 minutes and one second mm. any song you any album as a, as a again as, a, as an enthusiastic bootlegger when i was younger i tended to particularly like albums that you could get on one side of a c90 tape so uh, and and a storage the city was very frustrating as a result because it's just over as is OK Computer but and it's annoying when you've got one song on the other side but um, anyone that has ever done any kind of tape copying will feel my pain but um, but no Revolver is just I love the fact that the, so, there are some you know sort of gold standard Beatles songs on it like you know Eleanor Rigby and the popular ones everyone knows like Yellow Submarine but there are there are so many tunes on it that are not widely known but you know like for no one which is the the biggest you know just just classic mccartney songwriting that is just compelling tomorrow never knows where they accidentally invent dance music i mean it's it's it is i know it's i wanted to avoid it because it's always spoken by the chin strokers as being the best beatles album but it is and i can't avoid that because it just is i mean how i for me it's just the one that was really when they started to um they started to experiment sonically and the the drug thing was really kind of kicking off them for them and the lsd thing but equally 
it's still got that rawness of sound in places on things like Taxman and She Said She Said and um, Annual Bird Can Sing, which again invents jangle pop. There are so many <laughs> genres on this album that you know you you uh, that they McCartney has a fantastic go at soul on Got to Get You Into My Life. It's it's. Um, you know, the Harrison mm. songs are fantastic as well. And even Yellow Submarine oh, is quite cute, really. Okay. I know, mm. I know. But, mm. this, the, but the film that it spawned is, is, is genuinely still really interesting. Mm. So so they do so much on that album. And for me, it is my favourite Beatles album. And because it is my favourite Beatles album, it has to be my favourite album of all time. It is. A Revolver is a, is a really great, fascinating album. And I think you absolutely nail it because it does, it bridges the fab mop-top Beatles and the psychedelic LSD arguing and splitting Beatles. And um, uh, Tomorrow Never Knows is uh, is a window into the future. It's an ex- extraordinary track. Um, for my top two albums, at number two, a week or so ago, I saw her name trending on Twitter and my heart sank. Mm, I thought, oh, oh gosh, my God, yes, no. Always it, it's yeah. always running. But all was well. It was her 75th birthday, and that's what people were celebrating. There are three albums that Joni Mitchell made between mm. 1971 and 75 that are simply divine, and I think all three would be in my top ten albums of all time. Two are Blue and The Hissing of Summer Lawns, but I'm picking from 1974, Caught and Spark. Yeah, that's a great choice. I love The Hissing of Summer Lawns, but mm. yeah, I can I get where you're going with this. Yeah, on Caught and Spark, the songs are, 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 are sort of deep from Joni's heart. She'd, she'd broken mm. up... Uh, broken up with Graham Nash she was seeking I suppose more experiences and the sound is the sound is sophisticated and her voice has never been more confident um, it features Tom Scott's LA Express uh, David Crosby and Graham Nash and uh, Robbie Robertson it's, it's Joni at her best Court and mm. Spark yeah now, great choice of course, the Beatles are at my number one as well, but which album to choose? Mm, um, and, and again, I don't think there's a wrong answer to this. So it, I don't, I'm not going to be one of those people that turns around and goes, oh, that's awful, you shouldn't have picked that, because it is almost like picking between children if you are a Beatles fan. It really is. Every Beatles album has its high spots for me, and I, I chart my young life my uh, by viewing years by Beatles albums mm. released in that year. And I kind of do have... Revolver as my all-round... I think I would have picked Revolver as my all-round number one Beatles album, taking the thing as a whole and the tracks individually making mm. that whole. But I picked Abbey Road um, because... And again, I, that's in my top three, I would reckon. Mm. It is a brilliant album. It was released as I became a teenager, and it helped me along in life, uh, you know, a pretty troubled sort of time that I was having. Mm. And it can take... The, the reason I picked it is not so much for the individual tracks, but because it contains my favourite Beatles, Beatles moments um, of of all time. The, the medley on side two, concluding with, you know, the end. And um, so for that reason, because if I had to pick my favourite Beatles track, in inverted yes. commas of all time, it would be the, the medley on the back of side two of Abbey Road. That's why I pick, picked it. My number one album, The Beatles and Abbey Road. 
a brilliant album. And again, I loved that as a teenager. And it's interesting. And I know I've made a couple of references to my age this week. And it sounds like I'm being kind of a snot-nosed brat. And I don't mean it to. But I think it's really interesting here. And it says so much about the Beatles and just how they changed everything. That I discovered them in my teens. Mm. And my teens were not contemporary with the Beatles. Mm. I can, you know, and, and it must have been pretty thrilling that your teens pretty much were. And I love the fact that my, you know, talking to my parents, my dad went to see a hard day's night at the cinema, mm. age 23. My mum went to see Yellow Submarine at the cinema. You know, I think she mm. went as a child, actually. They, 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 because a bit of an age gap with my parents, mm. but they both, you know, they, they both saw these things happen really and so mm. as a result of which my dad really likes the early Beatles years and my mum really likes the psychedelic Beatles years because that was what was capturing them at the time really I mean my dad worked in a bank when the Beatles first came out so was living kind of a straight lifestyle and my mum was 15 in 1969 so of course she very much was taken as I was when I was younger by all that kind of psychedelic type stuff I remember making numerous attempts to the, the, uh, the Yellow Submarine film prompted me to learn how to re, how to work our video recorder at home mm. because I asked my dad to tape Yellow Submarine that was being shown for the first time in years at something like 2 o'clock in the morning on Channel 4 <laughs> and in those days when that when that was what happened and he said it on the wrong channel so I got I oh. got ITV instead so I got American Gladiators um, some telly shopping and night screen advertising and a Japanese Japanese chat show and I then decided that it was time to learn how to how to how to record how to use our video recorder but how interesting that they soundtracked both our teenage years Mm. and really sort of formed us and also again interesting that we've both picked records that we remember from our youth that that are that you know that that shaped us really if you talk about your favorites music and and you say musically you could probably pick revolver and you know equally Mm. musically I could probably pick Abbey Road because I think Mm. everything on it is fantastic but it's it's just it's about what speaks to your own experience it would seem when we do those lists and it's almost like when you hear desert island discs people very rarely pick their favorite songs on desert island discs or they if they do they have a story behind them so they will say oh this reminds me of my wife or this reminds me of when Mm. our son was born and i think it's so interesting that when we're asked about our favorites it might not necessarily be the stuff that think we think is best but the stuff that means the most to us absolutely right and incidentally my father took me to see A Hard Day's Night at the cinema I was about five and he uh, he was a big Beatles fan and he took me along and then you're right listening to the Beatles I'm sorry to have prematurely (laughs) aged you by the way sorry about that Um, and um, as each Beatles single uh, particularly the singles at the time because that's what you heard on the radio um, when they came out you kind of thought oh is it going to be as good as the last one and you heard it first time you thought oh I'm not sure and then you hear it the second third time yes you know it's another classic and you'd be racing up to WH Smith or wherever to to get your copy so it was great to be uh, you know contemporary and hear them as they you know were actually released and everything coming next we'll be talking about Juliet's new album and also uh, Courtney Barnett live in Brighton that's right after Go Bodicea Hey little girl when you were small wore a princess dress from the Disney star you look so cute with ribbons in your hair and everybody knew you were daddy's girl had him wrapped around your finger yet you rocked his world and now he tells you you look like you're a punk rock kid and every Saturday night Punk rock kid who's gonna get in a fight Punk rock kid and give your parents a fright Punk rock 
song actually that lends itself to getting embedded in your brain um, from their new album Mrs Punch is not for sale Go Bodicea and Punk Rock Kitten and uh, for those who don't know Go Bodicea consists of Sarah Corrie and our Juliet Harris uh, can I just say that Terence picked this independently oh, yes, I, did. I did not nobble or lean on Terence to no. play my band so uh, if, if you're not into people promoting themselves <laughs> fast forward the podcast for about five minutes I would probably say <laughs> you, you and Sarah Corrie uh, how, how did the two of you get together to, oh, to wow. make this she'd, she'd been a friend of mine I think I first met her god this would have been about 2010 so years ago mm. I went to um, I, I, I'm certainly embarrassed by this story now but she has forgiven mm. me for it we went to my, the pub where I used to drink a lot called Jenny Linden Hastings I was going out with somebody at the time and we went for this music quiz and it was to raise money for the Association of Carers who Sarah at the time worked for and she was the quiz master and oh. I used to I'm, I, I, I regret to inform you I used to be that person that used to <laughs> To go up to Quizmaster and say, actually, that's not quite right because, and I did that to Sarah, and she said to me, the first time I met you, I thought you were quite scary, but she said that everyone in the pub said, oh no, she's just like that at quizzes because she always comes to quizzes here. She's actually very nice. And then mm-hmm. I met, then I met Sarah another time. We got on really well, and we just became really, we became really friendly. It came up in conversation that it was 2013 and it was 30, it was 20 years of Riot Girl, and she said, oh, I'd love to do something to mark that, and I said, oh yeah, I would too. I'm, I'm really into it and she said to me what would you call if you could have a right girl band one of those pub conversations what would you call them and I said oh go Bodicea and she said why and I said oh because there was this book that I read when I was younger series of books called The Sniff Stories by a chap called Ian Wybrow which is about a family that have a dog called Sniff and (laughs) the adventures that they have but it's it's almost not a children's book that some of the humour in it is quite adult and not in the sense that it's rude but that there is a depth to it and there's one where the mum has a friend that comes to stay called Atlanta I think her name is and she's painted as this kind of slightly tiresome sort of green and common feminist of a certain age which looking back now I now have mixed feelings about that but the the son who narrates the book complains bitterly about how Atlanta is coming to visit they said last time she kept us up till one in the morning um, warning us off the dangers of fried foods and Mm. reading from her self-published book of feminist poetry Go Bodicea and I remember clocking that 
clocking that name mm. and just thinking it was good. And I told the dad of Sarah, who loved it instantly. And and that's how it just kind of... And weirdly, our first rehearsal, we didn't have... Uh, we have a song called Go Bo to See It that starts the record. And we didn't, we didn't have that in our first rehearsal. And then her husband, Ian, said, I think you should have a theme song. All great bands have a theme song. <laughs> so she then wrote this song. And Sarah mostly wrote, so writes that song. There's one song on the album that's mine. But she writes these brilliant songs and has a great pedigree of having been in bands previously. She was in Comic Gain and then Benicet. They were on Label. She did tours. And it's just, it's just so much fun to play. And Sarah and mm. I are really good friends now, and it's such a pleasure to play with her. And that, that's, the, the band name is unusual. You've explained that, and the, yes. the, 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 the title of the album is is slightly uh, odd as well. How did <laughs> that quite run at the mill? Yeah, mm. Mrs. Punch is not for sale. Um, so my friend Emma, who lives in Lewis, a good friend Emma, um, put a picture up on social media, and this was again about three or four years ago. Um, there is a printing press in in Lewis. Of course, there is called the Tom Payne Printing Press, um, and. You can go in and buy prints and, and all sorts of things. And they, they've got a huge press in the shop. And um, they had a metal doorstop outside of Mrs. Punch um, from Punch and Judy. And people would occasionally go in and say, oh, how much are your doorstops? And they'd go, we don't sell doorstops. And they'd go, oh, the Mrs. Punch one outside. And they'd say, no, that's that's our doorstop. That's what we use to keep the door open. We, we don't have, we don't sell doorstops. That's not what we do. We're not a blacksmith, you know, because it's a metal doorstop. And... <laughs> We wanted to get a picture of it, but we didn't in the end. But but ultimately, they got so driven half mad by people going into their shop asking to buy their doorstop that was theirs that they were forced to write on on a piece of paper in a marker pen, <laughs> um, Mrs. Punch is not for sale, and it was lent on their windowsill next to a uh, sort of half-empty pint, a half-full pint glass of water. And my friend took this picture because she thought it was so amusing. And again, Sarah is so kind of welcoming to everything that I suggest that I said to her when we were thinking of doing this record. I think I'm got an idea for the album in the cover um this is my my friend emma took this picture and i showed it to her and uh, <laughs> and she just was so amused by it. and also because we do have quite a strong feminist roots to us we just love the kind of dual meaning of it as well so i just we just had to be ours and thanks to emma chaplin for letting us use a photograph because it is it is brilliant and if having heard um, punk rock kitten, yes, and indeed, people yes. may think, oh, I really want to get hold of that album. Well, that would be nice if they did think that. How it, might it, they it, do so? Sarah's 60s girl group classic. Yeah, mm. well, they can do so. I still haven't set our band camp up, but I will do that. Mm. Who knows? It might be up by the time you hear this. Mm. But, but if it isn't, I think the most sensible thing to do is you can contact me on social media. So I'm, Julie, I'm at SuperJules84 on Twitter. Um, or you can, um, you can also like the band facebook page which is go bodicea and we're spelling bodicea we we have no truck for the modern booty mm. world so we are b-o-a-d-i-c-e-a and it took us so long to to, to, mm. to learn how to spell it. there are numerous poses with it completely misspelled where me complete we completely misspelled it but um you can contact us or me through that or my social media and it's five pounds and a pound postage for your six track cd and we'll probably sign it as well when when you're not as the go bodicea <laughs> twitter page describes playing cheery punk and cheery tunes yes indeed where can we find you this week well, I mean, that's mm. a country. When I'm not accidentally running a cottage industry of sending mm. off these CDs around the country, which is lovely. One went to New York the other day, by the oh, way, yeah, and uh, but they've gone to they've gone to Sheffield, they've gone to Manchester, they've gone to Glasgow, they've gone to the West Country, they've gone to Suffolk, they've gone everywhere. Frankly, um, when I'm not doing all that, you can listen to me doing Indie Wonderland, my radio show on Barricade Radio, Indie uh, 
post rock alt rock and miscellaneous um 8 to 10 p.m barricaderadio.com um you can also next friday the 30th of november my friend that you're so fond of bongo debbie <laughs> and i are back the, the, the bongo harris experience is reunited and we will be um we will be playing at the dragon bar in hastings from 8 until 11 p.m on friday the uh 30th november so do come down our book club are having a meeting but they're coming down afterwards so uh, so yeah you can you can meet all sorts of interesting people thanks to you for listening and yes uh, always thanks to you at all times ever and thanks to executive producers rona and hilly now i must confess i'm not much of an expert on the of the musician singer songwriter that you went to see at the brighton dome last week but you described her and her band as monstrously good jules Yes, indeed, and I stand by that description, mm. Terence. So uh, this is Courtney Barnett. Mm. Um, so I mentioned at the beginning of the show that, that mm. I saw her and her band at the Brighton Dome, and that was a couple of couple of Fridays ago now. I first came across her when I was on a, a, a little station. I got sent some, a sampler from somewhere and, um, and some new tracks, and one of them was this funny thing from Australia called Avant Gardener. Uh, and I liked the title straight away, and so I listened to it. That was what made me want to listen to it. And also, it was by a female singer-songwriter that was described as having a, a song, a female singer-songwriter. And I don't know about you, Terence, but I get a certain image in my head when uh, when someone says female singer-songwriter, as much as I like them. Um, the, the, the singer mm. Katie Tunstall said once, she said she went through a stage of going to a lot of open mic nights in coffee shops. And she said the female singer-songwriter sums up an image of her of a woman that walks in carrying an acoustic guitar in a leather case um, with a long skirt on. And she says, you think to yourself, please don't sing about being dumped by your boyfriend. And then she does. <laughs> it's sort of Phoebe from Friends style. I think they get a bit of a bad rap, I think, as a result. But it said that she had quite a grungy sound. So I thought, oh, OK, maybe she's a different kind. of. Maybe she's more of a PJ Harvey type. And there are some parallels in their music and i listened to it and it was it was she can sing but she was just sort of it was just this kind of rambling story of of you know someone who was doing gardening in their back garden and then they had a bit of a panic attack and she's taken away to paramedics uh, to, a, to a hospital in Amherst by paramedics and it's that whole story and it's and she tells stories in her songs and they are brilliant and she is unique you know she, she is who she is and mm. she's and she's so authentic and that's her appeal the place was full of women on their own who knew every word which i thought was fantastic and um no i'm a huge fan of of Courtney and it was lovely to see her succeeding and growing and I hope that she continues to do so and I love the fact that her stuff is not run of the mill it's not you know it's really wordy people were, were singing along to these ridiculous words like pseudo easter effigen which is from uh, Avon Garden and people just were belting them out you know like, like that was normal <laughs> and I've picked this one. I nearly picked Avon Gardner, but I've got a feeling I might have picked it before on the podcast. So I picked this one because I think it's a. Uh, it's not from her most recent album, but it's 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 great. It's it's um, it's uh, from sometimes I just sit and think. Sometimes I just sit. I mean, she doesn't really do brevity in her kind mm. <laughs> her albums or her songs. And this is just a lovely story that's got a great wit to it as well and a bit of a twist. And um, it's the opening track from the album, and it's called Elevator Operator. All of So
You have been listening to a DAC Media Production.